This is All In Podcast with Mike Gill, Jeff Mosher, and Ryan Rothstein, and All In on 97.3 ESPN.com. Let's talk a little fantasy football, fellas, because there were a lot of surprises in week one, and you look at some of the transaction trends, the ads and drops, and a lot of names really stand out. And I think it's up to us right now to determine whether what we saw was just week one aberration or this is a a guy you got to jump on. The first one that comes to mind, and I'm amazed that we're even talking about this, but John Ross of the Cincinnati Bengals gets 12 targets Catches seven of them for 158 yards and two touchdowns. Now, remember, this is a new offense. Zach Taylor is the head coach. He comes from that Sean McVay tree that if you touch the tree, you're an automatic offensive genius. But this is a guy who was a top 10 overall pick two years ago, a complete bust, and just explodes in week one. So I ask you, real or fake with John Ross in week one? What he did, by the way, he did in Seattle, which is not always an easy place for an opponent to uh, to score, but that was pretty impressive. Mike, what do you think? Uh, number one, Seattle defense uh, secondary, not the Legion of Boom anymore, Certainly so not. not quite the same. Number two, um, Ross was a high pick for a reason. A lot of people thought that he would be a downfield explosive guy, kind of like a Deshaun Jackson type, where he had the four catches for 120 yards and they are both 50-yard touchdowns. He had that elite speed. The problem with him has been he's been hurt, hasn't been able to stay on the field, hasn't been able to be healthy, hasn't been able to really be a big part of the offense. Now, keep in mind, A.J. Green out for them for half the season, so somebody has to really step up. They got uh, excuse me, Tyler Boyd, who was kind of more of a complimentary second guy last year, and now uh, maybe they're utilizing him as kind of the underneath guy, and Ross is the perfect complimentary type of player on the other side of the field with his speed. So I would think that... That is real. I think that the the Bengals wide receivers, AJ Green, Tyler Boyd, they've got um, you know they've had some tr- uh, pedigree as they've been good fantasy players. So I like Ross. Um, they you know Mixon got hurt. I think he hurt his ankle. Questionable whether he's going to play this week. So Giovanni Bernard would be the lead guy, which means to me they're going to throw the ball a little bit more too without with Mixon being out. So I like. Uh, Ross, and he's available in a lot of leagues, including mine. Yeah, I agree with you, Mike. The thing that stands out to me is that he was targeted 12 times. That means they were clearly looking to get him the football. So, Ryan, I'm going to put it to you this way. If you're, you are you got a fantasy team, you, you want to take advantage of who's out there on the waiver wire at wide receiver based on week one. You've got a guy like Ross compared to the rookie, Marquise Brown, Hollywood Brown from the Ravens, who had – what, three touchdowns? He had 240. It was something crazy. Let me say, oh, I'm sorry, 147 yards and two touchdowns. Both touchdowns were Deshaun esque. He averaged 36.8 yards a catch. But let me just tell you this he played five snaps. He played five snaps. So that is incredible production on just five snaps. 12, and, 12 snaps. I'm sorry, 12. No, are you sure? I yeah. thought it was just five snaps. My bad. He played 12 snaps. That's still not a lot. Maybe it was five targets on 12 snaps and four catches, okay? So when you compare what Ross did to what Marquise Brown did, and then I'll throw in a third one. We saw it here in Philadelphia, Terry McLaurin catching five balls for 125 yards and a touchdown. Which one of those three? You rank those three to me right now as a good pickup, Ross, McLaurin, or Hollywood Brown? Uh, For me, I got to go with Ross. If I'm just ranking those three, I think he's the guy that can have the most consistent production. The low snaps out of Hollywood Brown I think is intriguing. I didn't realize he was only on the field 
for 12 snaps. I think that's concerning. But with his production, maybe he starts seeing the field a little bit more as the season goes on. So And he did it against the backup Dolphins defense. There you go. Which those guys might not start in the AAF if they still had a lead. Yeah, and I also look, just to get away from, from that as well, you have injury reports for Tevin Coleman, Joe Mixon, and Darius Geis. So then you look at their backups, you know, uh, Giovanni Bernard, Adrian Peterson, maybe he'll see the field. Why the heck was he not even active against the Eagles? We still haven't found any information on that. But he could be a, wa- a late waiver wire pickup uh, as well, just some other options for you. But I-, I go Ross as the guy that seems like it's week one, guys. It's so early. I mean, you can't – if you want to crown him, crown him. But I can't crown him yet. So I'm going to go Ross first for now. But do you guys see anything else out there outside of those oh, names? I think there's a name that we're all um, – you know, Sammy Watkins. I mean, I would imagine that he was a guy that maybe has burned people in the past and they just passed on him. So maybe you draft him. How many waiver – how many people do you th- – how many leagues do you think he's available on the waiver wire? Though? I would uh, say maybe very Maybe 10-man leagues. Or uh, my point is if you had him on your bench mm-hmm. and you just had him as a flyer. But, you know, he was a first-round pick in Buffalo. They got rid of him. He's never really done anything – but he had 198 yards and three touchdowns, and Tyreek Hill got hurt. So my point is I would get him active in your lineups, and if he's on a waiver wire, I would probably go after him because in a 10-man league, yeah, maybe some people said, you know what, he's in in Kansas City. They're not going to use him at all. He's been all over the place. He was with the Rams, didn't do anything. Buffalo didn't do anything. Sometimes people – get burned by a player so many times they just avoid them like I did with Josh Gordon. Yeah, I hear that. I'm going to throw a name in there that I think is available on a lot of waiver wires and had a good game, maybe, probably a better game if you're in a PPR than a non-PPR, and that's Jamison Crowder, the slot receiver for the Jets, who was targeted 17 times and caught 14 balls. He only had 99 yards, and he's not a real touchdown threat, I don't think. He's kind of that vintage slot receiver, slot possession receiver. So in a PPR league, I would say take Jamison Crowder maybe even over Ross, who might have just been a week one breakout guy and is not going to catch that many balls, or even Marquise Brown, who's not playing a lot. But uh, that, so, so that's an interesting guy. But, again, if you're not in PPR, I wouldn't recommend Crowder. But if I'm going to rank those three guys originally I told you about, I actually think Terry McLaurin is the guy to me because he's going to be the number one option on that team. And while they're not going to be a great offense, his speed was pretty evident against the Steelers. I'm sorry, against the Eagles secondary. And I think he's going to wind up going as the weeks go along. He's going to be their most targeted wide receiver. And I'm not sure that Marquise Brown was anything more than just a week one breakout against a terrible team. And I'm not sure that he and John Ross could stay healthy because there have been issues with both of these speed receivers in the past. I think McLaurin is a more well rounded receiver who's going to be the number one option for that Redskins team. Yeah, that's, that, that's another good point there. What, you know, I, I feel like I didn't give Marquise Brown a, enough love, but I, I think his ceiling could be the highest. So I think John Ross right now on the waiver wire is a safer pick, but when you look at Marquise Brown and who is throwing him the ball, Lamar Jackson, a lot of question marks heading into this year. Is he legit? Is he a running back at the position? I don't think it's that extreme, but Lamar was the stud, as we all know, in week one. If he continues on that path, you have to think there's more bombs coming Marquise Brown's way. All right, I just, I, I guess I maybe see him as a, of a feast or famine player who's probably going to have weeks that are unbelievable. And then, like Deshaun was earlier in his year, and then yeah. weeks not. But, and the consistency of McLaurin, I feel like if you're looking for that, if you're looking for that high volume and maybe a PPR league where maybe McLaurin will help you out a little more. Let's transition to quarterbacks. Mike, there's a couple of quarterbacks on the waiver wire who had really good week ones Marcus Mariota, 
who had a couple of touchdowns. Uh, I believe he was uh, 248 yards and three touchdowns. Then you had Case Keenum, and we all saw what he did against the Eagles here, uh, especially in the first half, but he finished with great numbers. Uh, three touchdowns, 280 yards in that area. And then you had Jacoby Brissett, who threw two touchdowns, only 190 yards, but he kind of orchestrated a really balanced uh, Indianapolis attack and a loss. Of all three of those quarterbacks, they're all in different situations, right? Does one stand out to you as a guy that you think would be a good, you know, if you're looking for a QB2, like I have Kirk Cousins in my league, and now I'm worried if he's only going to throw the ball 10 times a game that I may need a better point producer. If you're looking for a better QB2, does any one of those guys stand out to you? Say the three again. Marcus Mariota, right. Case Keenum, or Jacoby Brissett. Yeah, okay. I thought you said Keenum. I just wanted to make sure. Keenum was interesting. I mean, last week, if uh, in, in you know, depending on your scoring system, if you're, um, you know, I, I'm in a big play league, so Keenum kind of worked out well. He had 39 points in my league. I think that the Washington, you mentioned McLaurin, they have the ability for some big plays with him. They get Jordan Reed back. Um, I like Keenum as. I'm just not a Mariota fan. I think he's proven that he's kind of a dink and dunk kind of guy. I knew you'd say that. Yeah, I mean, look, at this stage, that's what he is. He just kind of throws underneath. I mean, they had a great game, and, you know, they like Davis down there as their kind of deep threat. But um, I don't love any of those options, As uh, but the three that you give me, I'll probably go with Keenum, and I know that he's probably on the shakiest ground because as that team maybe loses games, they go to Haskins. So he's not the uh, most secure of the three either, but – if you're looking for quick, you know, and now they're playing Dallas this week, so there's probably not a good matchup for them. Uh, and Mariota is where? Where are the Titans this week? Uh, they are playing. Tennessee is, let's see, uh, week two they're playing Indianapolis. So, um, you know, Mariota to me is just not a great fantasy option. And We thought he would run more, too, when he got into the league, and he hasn't really proven that either. Yeah, I'm not – high on Mariota. I don't think he's someone that you can look at as a sleeper or someone as a steal, but the Titans did put up 43 points. He did throw for 248 yards and three touchdowns. Yes, one of them was a 75-yard screen pass to Derrick Henry, but nonetheless, if you're giving me those group of guys there, I like Mariota's potential. I know he's fooled us in the past, but if he can stay healthy, if, I'm not saying they're going to put up 43 points every week, but he does have some potential. He did run the ball three times for 24 yards. Maybe he runs it five times a game for 30 to 50 yards, and he can have a couple throwing touchdowns. I think that's good value when you're looking at a steal or a waiver wire pickup or a guy that's hanging around on your bench on a bye week. I like Mariota out of that group. I do too, but I'll tell you some In the three or four weeks, we might have this same discussion and I think I might in four or five weeks, and then therefore you might make the move now, go with Brissett. Because when you're looking at a quarterback and you're looking at fantasy points, you're also looking at weaponry around him, right? Marlon Mack had a really good first game. They have a very good offensive line. T.Y. Hilton is still there. Ebron is still there. When you look at weapons, you just don't know what you're going to get from running back right now out of Washington to help Case Keenum out. And again, when you're relying on a rookie and Terry McLaurin to be your number one guy, there's some danger in that. And then... What I said, Mariota. I love Mar. I would like Mariota for now. I think it, it stands out to me though. It's a good running that, game. Something that Mike mentioned uh, stand out. Corey Davis had zero catches in the se- in the season opener, if I'm not mistaken. He's supposed to be their best receiver. That just to me illustrates the dink and dunk point Mike was making about how they just you know well, Delaney has, Walker. Uh, you know, and- they have Deion Lewis on that team too. I mean, he's another guy that they just kind of dink and dunk with. Delaney Walker, their tight end, he's another guy they dink and dunk with. Right. So to finish up on quarterbacks, let me add this real quick to the equation though. 
there's a lot of positive stuff being written about Gardner Minshew, who's now taken over Jacksonville with Nick Foles out on IR. And, Mike, you even read something to me where uh, Scout said that he wouldn't be surprised if Minshew went and stole that starting job from yeah. Foles when Foles comes back. You got DJ Shark. You've got Westbrook, D.D. Westbrook, who's a good deep threat. You've got Leonard Fournette. If I throw Minshew, Minshew, am I pronouncing that right? Minshew. Yeah, because you usually get on me because I don't pronounce names right. Uh, If I throw Minshew into this mix of Mariota, Keenum, Brissett, do you think you you, you take the risk as a high upside pick there? I throw him in the – the only problem I have that team, you know, offensively, they don't – I think of the weapons, they don't – I don't like – like I like – T.Y. Hilton is a better weapon. Uh, the Washington weapons aren't all that great, and neither are the Tennessee weapons, I guess, if you're going to go that way. Westbrooks, you mentioned him as a good weapon. Uh, but overall, collectively, the Jacksonville offense is just still kind of and Marone is uh, not uh, you know a guy that, that goes with the deep ball as much. You know, Maybe with Foles they would have. They, they'd seem to. Minshew's an interesting guy, though. I mean, uh, the scout that made the point is that this guy's fearless. He's going to take shots. He's a kind of a riverboat gambler. He was on that Washington State offense uh, with Mike Leach so he could be a guy that you know you might want to stash as your number two or if you're in kind of a keeper league and you want to grab him and keep him on your bench and see him but I'm not taking him over those other three guys right now I don't love him either but from what we're seeing in the reports that are surfacing I've never heard this heard about this guy at all <laughs> well you know it comes really? from that air raid offense Mike Leach Washington yeah but he's not a name that that's been you know, talked about or discussed, obviously, he's hanging down in Jacksonville behind Nick Foles as the backup, but he was 22 or 20, 22 of 25 for 275 yards and two touchdowns. I think it's too early to to rate him, but if you need someone and you're really short in depth at the quarterback position, I think Gardner uh, Minshew is yeah. the guy that you look at. He, he was a very high-profile college quarterback, popular. I mean, he transferred – he was at East Carolina, transferred here, transferred there. He's a little bit of an older guy. He's 23 and played, you know, he landed at Washington State. And then he's got the mustache. He kind of has that look. So, you know, ESPN did a whole feature on him last year about his journey to Washington State. And then uh, he's a little smaller. He's like six foot tall. So he's not your prototypical big guy. But uh, he was a six round pick. But um, he was the Pac 12. Offensive Player of the Year, first team All Pac-12 quarterback. He was the Johnny Unitas Golden Arm Award. He had an unbelievable story and year last year for Washington State. So he was very well known, kind of coming out of college. It's just that he was an older guy. That's why I don't think he got drafted, you know, and wasn't looked at as the same price. Twenty three as a rookie, so he's a little bit older. Mike, he might be a guy. I wait one more week, yes. see how he does this week, and if he does well, I jump on him on the waiver wire if I can still get him. All right, real quick on running backs before we close this out. Uh, Washington, two things. Uh, you know now that Darius Geis is hurt again. I like Adrian Peterson in a non-PPR league, but I really like getting Chris Thompson in a PPR league. He's already a good pass-catching running back who they use in that offense. He had seven mm. catches for 68 yards against the Eagles. I think his production is going to go up against uh, or going forward now that Geis is out of the game. He's going to be their primary receiving back, and that's an offense that wants to throw the three- to five- to seven-yard route. So look for Chris Thompson on the waiver wire in a PPR league. He's probably going to get five to eight catches a game, 50 to 70 yards, and he's good at finding the end zone. Mm. We've seen that here in Philadelphia before. And I'd be remiss if I didn't close this section out mentioning that Darwin Thompson, Ryan Rothstein's favorite sleeper pick, 
Not so great of a first week. He only had uh, one catch for three yards and no yards rushing. So with the, I know, we know, we got to be patient on him. Greatness doesn't come overnight for guys like that. <laughs> it got Thompson. hurt when they got McCoy. He would have got those McCoy carries. Yeah. That's well, right. Let's see, guys. It's only week one. All right. You know, Darwin is, he doesn't, he, he, it's a marathon for Darwin. All right. He's We're, not rushing to anything. Not literally. He will rush for a ton of yards eventually. I promise. I, I promise you we will have a uh, weekly Darwin Thompson yeah. update. By the way, uh, I would say you know Malcolm Brown had a lot of carries, got the two touchdowns there. Uh, also, Ronald Jones, uh, Tampa Bay, looks like he could be getting a bunch of carries down there for yeah. them. Uh, so if you're looking for a guy, and Giovanni Bernard, uh, because uh, Mixon ended up getting hurt uh, for, um, for Cincinnati. For the Bengals, right. All right, the All In Podcast here on 97.3 ESPN. Ryan Rothstein, Mike Gill, Jeff Mosher. It is not a fantastic weekend uh, for college football as far as great showdowns. I don't think you have anything like the LSU-Texas, not a lot of top 10 teams going up against each other. I couldn't find one top 25 team facing another. But we can stay local, and we've got two local games that will appeal to our listeners. One being this is an int- There's one Penn interesting State local Pitt. game. What's, what's, two one? local. That Penn State pit, but... Temple, Maryland. Oh, Maryland's been lighting up the scoreboard. That man. was definitely my other one. So let's start with Penn State Pitt. Uh, the game is at Penn State, and they're getting, I'm sorry, they're giving Pitt 17 points. Now, Penn State has been weird. I mean, they blew the doors off of Idaho, but that is a one of the FBS football subdivision. Is that correct? Formerly 1AA. 1AA, right, team. So you kind of expected that. And then they had a little bit of struggle this past weekend before coming alive in the second half against Buffalo. Pitt, I, I don't know who, and I don't mean to be, you know, degrading to Pitt or anything, but I don't know if Buffalo and Pitt are are far apart. Buffalo's a pretty good football program. They've been for a little bit, and Pitt's been kind of a, you know, an okay program too. So what to expect here? 17 and a half points. What do you think, Ryan? Uh, listen, if Penn State, they run up the score. From what we've seen so far, they are not taking their foot off the gas pedal. I think they are sending a message. Coach Franklin is sending a message to the nation. He wants all the style points he can get. It was evident in the game against Buffalo with the late touchdown there, which was a bad beat for anyone who had uh, the points. Penn State covers the spread barely by winning by 32. Most places had Penn State minus 31 and a half. I think that's a great example of Penn State running up the score, looking to score points. If they're up by 20 with three minutes left, they're going to go for another touchdown. They're not taking a knee. They're not running out the clock. Especially against Pitt. Especially against Pitt. So I I look for Penn State. Yeah, me and Mike love that. I mean, you put us in a a corner here, two WU guys who hate both of these teams, but I think our hate for Pitt is a little bit stronger than Penn State. Maybe MG disagrees with me there, but I think we're on the same page. So I like the over. I don't think Pitt's going to score a ton of points, but I still think Penn State will score a bunch, and they're going to keep trying to score until the clock says zero. So I love the total, and I also like the spread. I think Penn State will find a way to cover. It's only 16.5 to 17.5, depending on where you look at it. It could be a 10-point game most of the way, 12-point, 13-point game most of the way. I see Penn State covering late and also hitting the over in the game against Pitt. Uh, Pitt is a average mediocre program all right and that's not saying it because i'm a west virginia guy they just are they're a seven and five type of team that's kind of who they've been really uh in every iteration uh of coaching that they've had penn state to me 
James Franklin sees the opening in the Big Ten with Urban Meyer out, Michigan kind of struggling a little bit, you know, with the Army game, everybody's kind of there. I think he's really trying to put his, you know, his thumbprint out there as we're the team in the Big Ten. I don't think Franklin wants to be that guy who's kind of like, hey, we're going to play from like hiding in the weeds. He wants to be the the, the well-recognized team. And you got an in-state rivalry. It's a big recruiting type of game. This is the kind of game that you put your foot on the gas. And the way Penn State's been running some scores up and, and scoring, I like the 17-and-a-half with Penn State there, and I'd probably go with them as they continue this early season, high-profile, uh, big spread wins. Uh, so I like Penn State with the 17-and-a-half. You know, I'll swallow I, those points and and uh, and have a little nittany line on my uh, plate. I, I do, too, and that's big of you to say, Mr. West Virginia. And, and you, you know, too, in my Ryan. time at West Virginia, Penn State and West Virginia never faced each other, although they are coming up in a couple of years. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I do think Franklin looks to run up the score against anybody, but especially Pitt. Uh, they've had some words exchanged uh, between the two coaches in the past. So it's if this game were at Pitt, I'd actually stay away from it because, I, you know, me being a Penn State guy, I've watched both games, and I've noticed against Buffalo that despite the big points, they had like three or four big plays, but they were not consistently moving the chains against a Buffalo defense that might actually be good. I, I don't know. That's the thing about playing Buffalo. I don't know how you compare Buffalo and Pitt, especially when Pitt only beat Ohio by 10 points. So when well, I look at it, I say because it's at Penn State, if we're at Pitt, I'd feel differently, but it's at Penn State. I do like them to cover on the 17, and I like them on the over uh, uh, in the total. Well, uh, here's a quick trend for you, all right? When uh, James Franklin Penn State team score at least 40 points in the previous game, they're 12-2-1 the following game against the spread. That's good stuff right there. So that makes Penn State even more of a favorite against Pitt at noon on Saturday. Let's go again local. You brought it up, Mike, and we're talking about totals. Temple is home versus Maryland. They're, they're seven-and-a-half-point dogs against a Maryland team that has scored 79 points and 63 points. They're averaging 71 points per game. So you, you've got a line here and a total here to kind of look at and play with. I, I don't know if that's sustainable for Maryland, but I, I got to say I'm shocked that they've been able to be that prolific two weeks in a row. Um, yes, me too, because last week they played Syracuse. Now they're at home. They had lost 11 straight home games against ranked teams in their building and blew the doors off us, a ranked Syracuse team who – Syracuse isn't great, but Babers has got that program going in a good direction. They beat Clemson two years ago. They probably should have beat them last year. So the Syracuse program is kind of going in the arrow pointing up. Maryland has been a disaster really since Freegen. You know, they haven't had a good season since Freegen left there. What was that, 10, 12 years ago? It's not a traditional football power, uh, but they are certainly getting off to a great start scoring-wise. But this Temple team is pretty good. This is a Temple team. Well, I don't know that Temple wins the game. I think Maryland coming off two big wins. They're not a great football school. Maybe they get a little pick. I like Temple in the game uh, to keep it kind of close, make it kind of a you know a scrappy fight. And uh, you know we'll see if Maryland, I don't want to say it's for real. If you're for real, you win this kind of game and you cover. I like Temple as well. I think that I, th- I like them with the points. Uh, last year's matchup, these teams played each other last year. Temple was a 15 and a half point dog, and Temple won by 21 points outright. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I know it's different teams, different years now in college football, especially one year can make a big difference. But you're giving me Temple at the link at home. Uh, I'm riding Temple. Uh, yeah, do you have it at seven and a half? I, w- I thought it was, I was a little bit at, low. Yeah, I was looking at the game below, but it's seven and a half. Temple's a seven and a half point dog. 
Yeah, so I'm, I'm taking the points for Temple, and, and I'm going to run with it at the link. I, I think they could win this game outright. So even look at the money line potentially, and I think it's going to be high scoring. So I like Temple, points, potentially money line, and the over at the link. Yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of disagree with you both because, as Mike said, you know, to do that against a Syracuse team, uh, score that many points, maybe this isn't the best Syracuse team there is, but that, 63-20 is impressive. Temple has a new coach. I mean, they've been all right here to start. The, the, I know they had 53 in their own, but I think Maryland is not going to go into Temple and Inlink and be scared by any stretch of the means. So I see minus 7.5. I don't think they're going to blow them out, Maryland, but I think they're going to cover on 7.5, so I would take Maryland there. All right, that's going to wrap up our college football talk of the All In Podcast. Remember, you've been listening to the All In Podcast on 97.3 ESPN with Mike Gill, Ryan Rossi, and Jeff Mosher. The All In Podcast. Make that money. money, 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 money.